we bid you welcome. Also, our listeners, we bid you welcome. Praying for all of us that the Lord Jesus, the Lord of peace, that he himself will give you, will give us his peace, no matter what the day is like. That the Lord be with you all. That the Lord be with us all. Amen. We have arrived at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, at verse 15. And as in the verses 1 through 14 in this chapter 18, the Lord compared the disciples to children. Now, in the verses 15 through 35, he compares them to children of God. In other words, born into the body of Christ. Which then, of course, was the beginning of the church. Now, physically, the Lord's disciples are mature. Sure, they're of age. But spiritually, they were still immature. Now, in Luke 17, verses 3 through 4, it's recorded that the Lord spoke about a case of a brother or a child of God who has hurt one of his, the Lord's disciples. And the Lord advises what a disciple should do in such a situation. And he says, remember this Luke 17 verses 3 through 4, so watch, watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Now Matthew in his gospel puts it this way, as we find in verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. The Living Bible, if a brother sins against you, go to him privately and confront him with his fault. If he listens and confesses it, you have won back a brother. And still, this verse is not really about believers who want an apology from a brother or sister. Sure, it's there, but it's not really about that, an apology from brother or sister who has wronged them. The point in question here is, redemption as can a brother who's going wrong be turned from his way back to the way of the kingdom of God and that's possible that you must take the initiative to make things right 
or to start things right from the beginning if they never have been born again. That can be quite a task. Of course, that then it wouldn't be a brother or a sister. But it can be quite a task. And it may take a lot of courage to take the initiative to make things right. The King James Version, let's read it again, verse 15, chapter 18. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now the issue here is not that the brother repents. Sure, that's important. But the real emphasis is on the last part of the verse. Thou hast gained thy brother. The emphasis is on the need of the wronged party. Because believers need their brothers in the Lord. When a person is converted, the Holy Spirit baptizes him into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For if by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, for by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. As members of the body of Christ, we belong to Christ's body. And sure, there are different parts in the body, as in our own flesh and blood body. The different parts have their own different roles in their own particularities or specificities to work together in the one body. In other words, so when a brother takes advantage or outright sins against another believer, another member in the body, then the family relationship is injured. And the first step the Lord teaches is to go to the brother who has sinned in the hope that he will listen. And the family band, the family group, will be restored. Let's go to verse 16. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Well, there are believers who like to hush up trouble. But that's not what the Lord tells us to do. He tells us to handle it. And to work out the problem between the believers in a friendly way. And if the believers cannot work it out, then take the problem to a group of believers, or let's call it family members. If the group cannot work it out, then as a last resort, take it to the assembly, to the church, as the final authority. 
as the Lord teaches in verse 17, and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. The Phillips Bible translated, translates it like a pagan or a tax collector. They were, they were cheating people. That's straightforward and even rough teaching, but that's just the way the Lord wants. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector who took up taxes against Israel for the Romans. That's what they did. John F. Walford in Matthew, Thy Kingdom Come, writes, and I quote, obviously, church organization as seen in the New Testament had not yet been established and it is more probable that the Lord or that he was referring here to a Jewish assembly with which the disciples were familiar. If the offender refused to correct the matter in front of the whole assembly he was then to be considered an outsider and was no longer worthy to be considered a brother. It is significant that there was no recognition of church authority, Walford writes, such as a bishop or elder, or even the authority of the disciples themselves, Walford writes. And the Lord concludes, what he was talking here in verse 18, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The Lord had discussed the same matter earlier with Peter, Peter alone, as recorded in Matthew 16, verse 19. And the same authority was earlier given to Peter and is now shared now this is shared by the whole church because the promise is repeated in John 20 verse 23 the Lord was speaking to the 12 it's interesting to see that the Greek word used here is humen which means the in the plural they were the basis and the beginning of the church, as we see when we compare the verses 17, 19, and 20. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So here the Lord is teaching us how the church comes about and will be.
and teaching his disciples that. And whether anyone can get forgiveness has to do whether the person repents and is converted, is changed, is transformed, is renewed. Find that in the verses 15 through 17. While we know that believers are given the promise of 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Stanley M. Horton in the Complete Biblical Library writes, and I quote, when the local body sees that the brother listens, the church can declare and act on the fact that the brother has already been loosed or set free in heaven because he has listened. But if the sinner does not listen, goes his own way, then the church has the right to declare and act on the fact that the sinner has already been bound in heaven and thus must be treated as outside the body just as cheating tax collectors are outside the body. Church disciples must be upheld and undergirded with earnest and heartfelt prayer. Because the power of prayer has no limits. And especially here, only one condition is demanded, which is unity. We're going a little bit closer into the situation now. See, look at John 14, verse 13. I think I said that wrong. John 14, verse 13. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, the Lord said, that will I do, building the church, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And the principle is in the verses, in John 15, the verses 7 and 16. 7 says, if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. And verse 16, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit and your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Here's another word that's so interesting from the Greek, the, 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 the shall agree situation here. Sumphone, sumphoneo. And that word is made up or is formed from sum, sum together with phone. Maybe you can hear here. 
it sounds like phone, the whole idea being in sound together. Think of the word phone or symphony. Symphony. In other words, there, it is in harmony. All agree. All agree. That's what the Greek brings out so beautifully. Shall agree. Verses 19 and 20. Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree. Sumphoneo. On earth as touching anything that they shall ask. It shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That's a marvelous scripture. I also tell you this, that if two of you agree down here on earth concerning anything you ask for, it will be granted to you by my heavenly Father. Concerning anything you ask for, my Father in heaven will do it for you. That's his words. But see the condition where two or three are gathered together in my name. God the Father will hear any prayer, any request that is made in the name of Jesus, in Christ's name. In other words, a request that the Lord himself would make as asking in his name. And it is asking in his will. As you send a child to the store, go, go get this and that. Because mama needs it, daddy needs it. That Jesus is present wherever people are gathered in his name speaks of the deity of the Lord. As recorded in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 4. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Only God is omnipresent, which means present in all places at all times. And the certainty that the prayer is heard is not whether there are many or few in the assembly or the goodness of the people or even the determination of the believers but on the fact that the Lord Jesus is present for were two or three he keeps it as a small number just in case we don't have many to encourage where two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. J. Vernon McGee, and through the Bible writes, as verse 19 is a new basis for prayer, verse 20 is a new basis for the visible church, he writes. The early church began here. See Acts 2 verse 42, which says, And they continued steadfastly 
in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now we're moving on. Here comes Peter in verse 21. And it says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Till seven times? Peter obviously wanted to get the assembly started and the learning and the teaching of it. And he returned to the matter of forgiveness and being quite generous, he offered to forgive a brother seven times. How oft shall my brother sin against me? I forgive him till seven times? Now R.C.H. Linsky in the interpretation of St. Matthew's Gospel he adds, the old Jewish teaching was that three times was enough, which is based on Amos 1 verse 3. It says, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions, all right, but four, and also Amos 2 verse 6. Peter was trying to be considerate in doubling up the usual limit of forgiveness. He probably thought he was quite unselfish and a bit over the top because Two or three times actually was all you had to forgive, as stated by the rabbis. But the Lord had a different opinion. Verse 22, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Wouldn't you have wanted to be there? My goodness, it's going to be something up in heaven. It's going to be great. So McGee, he writes, McGee style, that is 490 times. By that time, things might be pretty well worked out. If not, both of them would have reached old age to the extent that they wouldn't amount to much, it all wouldn't amount to much anyway. 490 is going to be the limit, and that is the point that our Lord is making. Yeah. Of course, when the Lord said, until 70 times 7, he was referring to an unlimited number of times. And some scholars say it should be 77 instead of 490 times. But the point is, of course, that the Lord was saying that the person doing the forgiving will do so as many times as necessary. Let's read the verses 23 through 26. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, that he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. Poor fellow. To give an example, how necessary the Lord thought forgiveness between us is, our Lord Jesus, he told the story of a king, of a king who called his servants to account, that is to a financial record, and this seemed to have been quite normal for a king in those days. And the first servant owed the king 10,000 talents, and the value of a talent could be as little as $375 for a small 
silver Greek talent or as much as $30,000 for a gold talent. As to Lenski, if this figure is used, 10,000 talents would be equivalent to at least $12 million. If a Hebrew silver talent was meant, it could add up as much as $20 million. A gold talent would have been much more. Anyway, a large sum is intended. And because the debt was so huge, the king commanded the man to be sold as a slave as well as his wife and children. This seemed to have been common practice. Then the servant worshipped his king, worshipping him. Verse 26, the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. You know, like paying on credit, paying on time. And the king was moved with compassion. Verse 27, and then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. And then real trouble starts. And the Lord describes how this same servant now saw another servant and he owed him only a hundred pence or one hundred denarii 16 cents each, about one day's wages for a laborer altogether. And taking the, labor, the laborer by the throat, he demanded payment. And when his fellow servant fell down at his feet, pleading for mercy, he wouldn't hear of it. And the fellow servant was taken in custody until he had paid his debt. The amount was too little to justify selling him into slavery. Being taken to prison was the normal procedure. Verses 28 through 30. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him at her throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now other servants of the king had seen what had been going on. Verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done wouldn't you know it and the king was livid he ordered the servant before him and told him off verses 33 to 34 and then his Lord after that he had called him said unto him O thou wicked servant I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. And then the man called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured 
until he should pay all. He should pay back all he owed. Shouldn't not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. And then the Lord said, verse 35, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. NIV, New International Version. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The Lord tells his own disciples and us, you and me. And reading this, it's obvious that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ should have their minds on how graciously God has forgiven our wrongdoings. There's where our minds should be. And with gratitude, rather than be busy how the world or even the church will recognize our good deeds or even our rights, because we should have our minds on the love of God and we should be wanting and seeking to show our love for him. Yes, in obedient and loving servant service, in obedient and loving service, even if it is a lowly task we must do, even if it is lowly work, even if we don't get any recognition out of it and no benefit. And see this, this parable of our Lord illustrates the principle of forgiveness. A principle that is not quite the basis of forgiveness, for, for that is found in Ephesians 4 verse 32, where it says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Because God has forgiven us, we should forgive one another. If God forgave our sins in the same way we forgive others so often, not one of us would be forgiven, not ever. But after we've become children of God, because we've been forgiven, we are to forgive. Because this is the principle of Christian behavior. Being forgiven by God must have a result out of necessity for one to have a forgiving attitude toward others. And if that attitude does not develop, then the unmerciful servant will suffer consequences. The Lord himself said so. 
Jesus himself said so. The Lord Jesus himself said so. Matthew 6, the verses 14 and 15. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. All right, then you're sitting there with him. And you go and close your eyes in death one day and you have all these trespasses hanging over you. Not good. And that forgiveness must come from the heart. It cannot be with the lips only, as we read in Matthew 15, verse 8. You see, everything is covered in the Bible, everything. Matthew 15, verse 8. This people draws nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Forgiving a brother, a sister, who has gone wrong and comes back should be an enormous and absolute joy for any true believer. Now, forgiveness also means a complete pardon so that the brother is not treated or thought of as guilty anymore, and we should expect limitless forgiveness when the brother truly put his faith in the Lord Jesus that he has really and truly accepted the forgiveness and salvation that the Lord bought, that the Lord gained for us on Calvary, on the cross. If a person is born again and all things have passed away and all things have become new, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, then there will be a new spirit of forgiveness also in the brother gained. Ephesians 4 verse 32 uses a form of the Greek word for forgiving that urges Christians to keep on forgiving one another graciously be kind to one another tender hearted keep on forgiving one another keeping on forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Because each time we pray the Lord's Prayer, or the Our Father, as some say, we ask God to forgive us as we forgive others. Read it in Matthew 6, verse 12. And this has nothing to do and does not mean that our relationship to God and with God depends on our own works. But it does mean that forgiving one another does keep the channel of grace open. Wide open. God bless you.